This is a topic that touches every one of us. There's not a single person underneath my voice or that's listening as I said watching via the web that does not need what I'm going to speak to you on. That's forgiveness. All of us needs forgiveness. And there's not a single person in here that should not extend forgiveness. All of us need it and all of us need to extend it. And let me preface my remarks by saying, I don't care. I shouldn't say it that way. That's a little harsh. (laughs) I am not as concerned about what someone else has done to you as your reaction to how you handle the situation. Forgiveness is needed by all and forgiveness is to be extended by all. I read a story of a Jewish man who was in a concentration camp in Poland. He, like all the other prisoners, was assigned specific tasks to do. One day, he was assigned to clean out the garbage from a barn in the middle of the camp that had been converted into a hospital to treat the wounded SS German soldiers. Later in the day, when he was doing his work of cleaning out all the garbage, a nurse came to him and took him by the hand and led him to the bed of a young SS trooper. The young man was 21 years of age. His face was bandaged with pus-soaked rags. His eyes tucked somewhere behind the galls. He reached out his hand and grabbed the hand of the Jewish man and held it firmly. A soldier said he had to talk to a Jew. He could not die before he had confessed his sins that he had committed against so many helpless Jewish people. And he had to be forgiven by a Jew before he died. The Jewish man listened to this dying man's story. First, the story of his youth and his innocence. And then the story of his participation in the evil and the massacre of the Jews. After hearing the story, the Jewish man jerked his hand out of the hand of the dying SS trooper and walked out of the barn. No words spoken and no forgiveness was given. The Jewish man would not forgive. But he wasn't sure that he did the right thing. He had written his own story in a book called The Sunflower. That book ends with a question. He says, what would you have done? Thirty-two preeminent persons, mostly Jewish, contributed their answer to the Jewish man's hard question. Most said that the Jewish man did what was right. He should not have forgiven the SS trooper. It would not have been fair Why should a man who gave his will to doing all the evils, the monumental evils, expect a quick word of forgiveness on his deathbed? And furthermore, what right had the Jewish man to forgive the soldier for the evil that he had done to other Jews? And if the Jewish man forgave the soldier, he would be saying that the Holocaust was not so evil. So one person responded, let the SS trooper go to hell. This story, though sad and true, in many respects, 
is the story of many lives today. Oh, you may not use those same words, but many of us, because we've been treated unfairly, we feel the same way. When we're hurt or maligned, when we've been taken advantage of maybe as a child, when there are things that have been done to us that are unspeakable, oh, we may not say the same thing. But you know, you might just think the world would be probably better off without these people. See, the only weapon that we seem to have is the weapon of hate. We have the weapon of contempt and unforgiveness because that's the way we feel we can get even. See, forgiveness is the glue that keeps violated relationships from ultimately ending. And Jesus here is speaking of forgiveness. Let me say it this way. Every relationship that has been violated, that ultimately comes to an end, ends not because of a violation, but because of the unwillingness to forgive. Every relationship that has been violated, that ultimately comes to an end, ends not necessarily because of the violation, but because of the unwillingness to forgive. Unwillingness to forgive. Unwillingness to forgive. Peter asked a really serious question. How often should I forgive? For the believer here this morning, let me state this. There is never an instance, never an instance where unforgiveness is acceptable. Never. Never. But you don't know what they've done. Never. See, we as Christians, as followers of Christ, we need to be quick to forgive. One of the troubles that people have is equating forgiveness with trust. They're not the same thing. I can forgive somebody without trusting them. But forgiveness is to be a primary characteristic in the life of every believer. See, there are some key indicators that a believer that a believer has if they are a forgiving person. I'd like you to write this down, if you would, or take notes on this. 
Every single person in here needs this message. And the reason that you need this message is because you're going to be violated. In one way or the other, either in a minor, minor way or in a major way, you're going to be violated. And you must learn how to forgive properly. And so though things might be right now, I would encourage you to write this down and take notes because it might be able to be a help to you later on. See, if you're a forgiving person, one of the indicators that you will have in your life, one of the attributes that you will have, your starting point is grace. Your starting point is not get back. You've seen the old uh, bumper sticker. You've heard the old adage, I don't get mad. What was that? See, I don't know that. I told you, you guys need that in this message. Yeah, yeah. I don't get mad. I get even, right? I get even. I'm not going to get mad. No way. I'm not going to have my blood pressure go up. No, no, no. But just wait. Oh, I am waiting for the opportune time. And that is when the shoe is going to drop. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, I will bide my time. I'll hold on for a month. I'll hold on for a year. I'll hold on for 10 years. It doesn't matter. But when the shoe drops, man, everything's going to, they're going to know. Oh, they will know. And I can't wait. You don't have a forgiving spirit. See, your starting point is grace. Take a look. The Bible says, then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft? Shall my brother sin, here we go, here it is, sin against me. How oft? And I forgive him. So how many times, you say, how many times do I got to let this guy who has personally sinned against me, how many times do I got to let him do it and forgive? He, uh, Peter's looking for a number. We like that, don't we? We like to have uh, this definitive box that we can work within and say, okay, fine. Now you have hit your mark. Why? Because we want to be able to get the upper hand. We don't want to be a doormat. We're going to, no, 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 no. Till seven times, Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Sometimes back, the Los Angeles Times ran an interesting article with a headline that said, couple meet Forgive slayer of daughter. The, uh, the article says, we love this special person from the bottom of our hearts. That's, we love this special person from the bottom of our hearts, said Mrs. Bristol to the man who murdered her daughter. The tiny housewife from Dearborn, Michigan, confessed to a little nervousness as she spoke to a group of inmates in the prison chapel of California Men's Colony. She and her husband, Bob, had driven 2,000 miles to see this special person, Michael Keyes, who was convicted of murdering their daughter, Diane. The body of Diane, then 20, was found in San Diego's North Park area. She had been selling encyclopedias door-to-door when she was kidnapped and strangled. The Bristol said, God led them on a mission of forgiveness, which prompted their friends and loved ones to shake their heads because they couldn't understand. We harbor no hatred and no revenge, Mrs. Bristol told the 60 prisoners Saturday night. Listen to what she has to say. She said, we know God can make something good out of this pain. We know God can make something good out of this pain 
Mrs. Bristol said that when she and her husband received the devastating news that their daughter had been raped, strangled, and brutally murdered, it was like a knife into the depths of their soul. We have the normal human reactions of grief and anguish. Keys, who had first admitted to the Bristols that he didn't quite understand their act, told his fellow convicts that people like the Bristols give meaning to the word forgiveness. Then choked by emotional tears, Keys turned to the Bristols and said, God bless you folks, and threw his arms around them both. What would make us happiest, Mrs. Bristol says, is when he accepts Jesus Christ. The San Diego judge who sentenced Keys to life imprisonment said, Keys was cunning, calculating, and callous, the most vicious killer I have encountered in my career. Mrs. Bristol said, we view this man as one of value and worth. We are interested in him as a person, not for what he did, but for what he can become. That is an amazing story of extravagant grace. I want you to take a look. If your starting point is grace, letter A, write this down. The extravagance of grace. Peter said, should I forgive him seven times? And uh, Jesus said, no, 70 times seven you might want to note this. The book of Amos, chapter 1, verses 3, 6, and 9. This is where we're going to get this from right here. The Jewish, the, the Jewish law taught that you are to forgive someone three times. And so Peter, knowing Jewish law and, and a little bit about it, he, he understood that, okay, it's three times, so let me show Jesus what a good and forgiving person I am. Let me show Jesus what type of follower of him I am. So instead of three times, how about seven times, Jesus? I mean, don't you think that that would be good? He's fi he finds that, as I mentioned, in the book of Amos. See, he was going far and beyond what any good moral Jew would do. He was surpassing the righteousness of the Pharisees. Luke 7, 4, 17, 4 says, And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again unto thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Now think about it. If Megan came up to me this morning and she sinned against me, say she got really mad at me. That's hard to imagine, getting mad at me. But say she got really mad at me and she just lost her temper, lost her cool, and she just cussed me up one side and down the other. And she comes to me and she said, Pastor, would you please forgive me? Yes, Megan, I, I forgive you. Then later on in the day, she, I do something and I make her upset. And maybe she, she said, you're such an idiot. I hate you. And then she comes back a little while later and she says, Pastor, can I see you? Sure, Megan, what's going on? I'm, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said those things. And then maybe I had a, a Hershey bar or two in my office and 
she went up into my office and found where my secret stash is. And she, she stole those two Hershey bars. And after she ate the first one, she felt guilty. She comes back, she says, Pastor, I, I need to tell you something. I said, what is it now, Megan? Well, I went into your office and I stole a couple of Hershey bars. I ate one, but here's the other one back. I'm so sorry. Would you please forgive me? Yes, Megan, I, I forgive you. And maybe a little bit later on, I hear that Megan was going around telling lies on me. She was telling people how ugly her pastor is. And that is a lie. <laughs> that is a bold-faced lie. But say she was telling lies on me. And then she comes back later that afternoon and says, Pastor, I'm sorry. I, I, I told... I told these people some lies about you, that you were treating me unkind, that you weren't being fair, and, and would you please forgive me? Yes, Megan, you're forgiven. And maybe a little while later, throughout that day, you get the point? We would have a hard time after the second or third time. I would be like, in, in my flesh, I'd be like, are, are you really sorry? You, obviously, you need counseling. <laughs> Wouldn't we? I mean, we would have a hard time just meeting the basic standard of an unsaved Jewish moral person. Not just seven times. Seventy times seven. Think about it. When somebody comes to you and asks you to forgive them the first time, you can look past it. Because, I mean, you know, hey, we all mess up, right? Oh, we, we, uh, that's okay. But see, the problem is, this is where the problem is. We put ourselves, we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to, okay? We think of ourselves better. Oh, I would never do this. Now, here you go. Now, listen to the right. Then when they come to you the second time... Maybe it's even the same thing. Now you start to think, I wonder what's going on here. We just talked about this a little while ago or three weeks ago or whatever the case may be. Then they come back to you for the same thing a third time. Now you're ticked off. They must not really mean what they say. They're playing me for a fool. I'm not going to take it anymore. I'm not going to be their doormat. They better shape up and change or I am cutting them off. You're dead to me. See, that's usually the way that it works. But I've got a question for you. Have you ever committed the same sin against God more than once? How many times have you gone back to God and asked him to forgive you of the same thing over and over and over and over again? And by the way, another question, how many times has he forgiven you? I guess the question to ask is, do you want God 
to treat you the way that you treat others when it comes to forgiveness. You really see how hypocritical we all are. We want, to, we want to receive extravagant grace in our own lives. But too many times, we're unwilling to give extravagant grace to others who need it. Jesus, in his response to Peter, is stating to give extravagant grace to those who need forgiveness. But not only do we see the extravagance of grace, but let her be, we see the emotion of grace. We see the emotion of grace Take a look here. Therefore, verse 23, is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshiped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Here you go. Here's the emotion of grace. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him his debt. See, Jesus shows extravagant grace, and he also shows the emotion of grace. It's really interesting. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto, you know, the kingdom of heaven, this is the way that it's supposed to be amongst where God reigns. That's what he's saying. In the life of the Christian, this is the way that it's supposed to be. In your life and in my life, when it comes to forgiveness... And here's this parable that Jesus tells, and he talks about this king which took an account of his servants, and he found that his servant owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents in the ancient world was the largest number, I should say, in the first century. It was the largest number that they went to in the first century. And the value of a talent varied from six to 10,000 10, denarii. And a denarii, or denarius, was a basic common day, uh, uh, a common worker's wage for the day. You say, okay, well, let's get through all that. How much would it be in today's society? How much did this guy owe in today's society? Over six billion dollars. There's not a single one of us underneath the sound of my voice that in 100 lifetimes could ever pay that back. Six billion dollars. I just wish he would have tithed off that and given it to Open Bible for our parking lot. <laughs> I had to figure out a way to get the parking lot into the message. <laughs> See, we know he couldn't pay it back because of what, his, what it says in verse 24. Five, but for as much as he had not to pay, he had no means. It's another way of saying he had no means to be able to pay it back. No way. This is a picture of the gospel. This is a picture of what happened to you when you came to know Christ. Or if you don't know Christ, your personal Savior, this is where you find yourself. You're just like that servant. You have a debt that you cannot pay. We're all like that slave. We could not pay the sin debt that we owed to God. See, those of us who were in a pre-salvation state, this is what they say. Many times people say, well, I'll do better. They're trying to pay back, right? 
Well, well, I'll have my good, my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. They're trying to pay back. Well, if I just give enough money to the church, they're trying to pay back. Well, if, I, well, if I'm just faithful to the church, or if I just serve in the church, or if I just help the poor, if I just have been christened, or, or if I just take Holy Communion, or whatever the case may be, then, then that will be enough. I, I'll made my payments, or maybe if I can get people to be able to light some candles and pray for me, I'll be all right. Listen, friend, you have an impossible debt that you cannot pay. Nobody's been able to pay it. See, you can live, you can have an eternity of lifetimes and there's no way to pay God back. You say, well, why does man talk that way then? Because they don't understand, we do not understand the enormity of our sin. The reason that we think that we can pay God back is because we don't understand the enormity of our sin. Take a look at verse 27. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him his debt. The servant couldn't pay. He fell down at his Lord's feet, the master's feet. And he asked them to be, have patience, to have long-suffering. But the master of that servant understood that he, his servant would never be able to pay him back. The king's heart was touched. Why? Because this man was humbled. He was broken. This man knows that he's on the edge of judgment. But because this king had a heart of compassion, when he was asked to forgive, he forgave. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. When we come to Christ humbly, we realize that we, don't, we have a debt that we cannot pay, and we ask him to forgive us of that debt. What has he done, church? He's forgiven us of all our sin. This morning, none of us has to carry that burden of sin because we have been forgiven by Christ. The king loosed the man, it says. You know what that means? It means that this man had no responsibility to pay that debt. It was done. It was over with. He didn't have to worry about it. You're loosed of that. And guess what, friends? This morning, because of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are loosed from our sin debt. Not only was he loosed, but he was forgiven he was free from having, anything, having to do anything. Look, what did this man do to get forgiven? He only humbled himself. There was nothing that this man could do. The point is, we can do nothing for our salvation. It was the king that did everything for this man, and it's our king, the Lord Jesus Christ, that does everything for us in order for us to be able to experience the salvation that he desires to give us. This is salvation as plain as it gets. Those of us who have accepted Christ, we're loosed now. We're free with no responsibility to ever have to pay it back. 
What's the Bible say? The Bible says that Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left its crimson stain. He washed me white as snow. That's what the hymn says. The first indicator that forgiveness is a primary characteristic in your life is that your starting point with others is grace. But take a look at number two, if you would, please. Your spirit is meek. Your spirit is meek. The Bible says in verse 28, But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. This is a section of contrast of what should have been. Anyone that has any sense of justice, anyone that has any sense of justice, knows that since one person has been forgiven of a debt, that they should have forgiven their fellow servant of another debt. It would just be the right thing to do. It would just be the gracious spirit. In all reality, that would just be the fair thing to do, would it not? I mean, if you've been forgiven, you ought to forgive someone else. And if forgiveness is to be a primary mark, an indicator of the life of a Christian you will have a spirit of meekness. How do we know that? Take a look, letter A. You will not dig up past wrongs. You will not dig up past wrongs. But that same servant went out, verse 28, and found one. He found one. He went looking. Listen. Listen, Christian friend. If you evaluate your life long enough, you look hard and long enough, you're going to find a reason to be bitter towards someone for the rest of your life. You're going to find a reason not to forgive somebody. You're going to find a reason to hold on uh, to, to wrongs done to you. You're going to find a reason to have a hateful spirit towards somebody. You're going to find a reason to cut somebody off. You're going to find a reason to uh, act as if that person's dead to you. You'll, you'll, you'll be able to work up a reason. As a matter of fact, you're not going to have to look too hard and too long. Satan will be able to help you find it pretty quick. Why? Because we've all been hurt. We've all been hurt. Because we've all been violated in one way or another. We've all had people say or do things to us that aren't right, that are sin. They've sinned against us. But as I said before, trust and forgiveness are two separate things. And found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. That's really interesting. And he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. There was a letter that was sent to Dr. James Dobson from a little girl. She wrote, Dear Dr. Dobson, I'm 10 years old. I have a problem. There's a man who is trying to split the church. He happens to be my best friend's dad. Now because of him, here we go, this is another way. We're just, we'll pick up offenses of other people as well. Now, because of him, my mom won't let me talk to Faith. I've talked to Faith about it. She and I are puzzled why we can't get together. We're upset. Why are they fighting? Their answers aren't good enough. Just because they're fighting doesn't mean we have to, or does it? I'm totally confused. All I know is Faith and I are friends and our parents aren't. 
please find an answer. Love, Karen. Isn't it amazing that a 10-year-old has more sense than some adults? Compare that illustration to the people who forgave their daughter's killer. The illustration, the story that I just read to you a few minutes ago. See, a person with a forgiving spirit doesn't go looking for past wrongs to be dug up. See, this man, he said he went out and found. It was premeditated. He was looking for something. This servant was just forgiven of a a debt that he could never pay back. And he was looking for a fellow servant who owed him about $6,000. Or one millionth of the first servant's forgiven debt. So now, this is what Jesus is trying to teach us. He's saying that you and I, we have a debt that we can never pay back. It's an impossibility. But you're going to have brothers and sisters or other people that may sin against you, that may offend you or hurt you. You owed me $6 billion. They owe you 6000 I've forgiven you of $6 billion. What you going to do about the 6000 You say, Pastor, but you don't know what they've done to me. You don't know what you did to Christ. You might be thinking to yourself, well, I'm not looking to dig up the past. I just want to move on past what's happened. And no, you might not be going after the person who has wronged you, who has sinned against you, but you don't have a forgiving spirit towards them. You know, it's like this. You just live your life, I'm going to live mine. You just stay out of my way, I will stay out of yours. If I see you on the street and we're walking on the same side of the street, I'll cross over. That's not a forgiving spirit. See, it's not that people don't sin against us, and by the way, and that we sin against others. That's not the point. As I've mentioned, you'll say to yourself, well, you don't know what these people have done to my family. You don't know how they've hurt me and scarred me for life. You don't know how they've taken away my childhood and my innocence. All those things may be true, And all of those things are very hurtful and sinful. And I am not saying that you don't have to work through that pain. You don't have to work through those emotions. I am not saying that it's not real. I'm not saying that it's not serious. I'm not saying that it's not hurtful. I'm not saying that it can be very grievous. But again, that's not the point. Jesus is not talking about your pain. He is talking about your response to the way that those people have treated you. He's not talking about the pain. He's not talking about the hurt. He's not talking about the violation. He's talking about this is the kingdom of God. This is where I rule as supreme, as God over all, and this is the way that you are to act one towards another. He says, basically, it doesn't matter how much they have hurt you in comparison to how much you have hurt me. And since I've forgiven you, you must forgive them.
See, if you're marked by characteristics of forgiveness, you will not dig up past wrongs or hold on to past wrongs. And let her be, your spirit is meek, you will not dig up past wrongs. You will choose not to enact justice, verses 29 through 30. You will choose not to enact justice. And his fellow servants fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. This fellow servant used the same language to ask for patience as the first servant did. But he wouldn't. The servant who was owed a debt physically, he assaulted his fellow servant, threw him into prison, and he legally had the right to do that. That was his legal right to be able to do that. According to the law of the land, he could have thrown this man into prison, and he did. He had the legal right to do so. But my question for this man is, but what about the law of God, the law of love? Love, what does the Bible say in Proverbs? Love covers a multitude of sins. Proverbs 12, 10, 12 says, what? Hatred stirreth up strife, but love covereth all sins. Proverbs 17, 9 says, He that covereth a transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. 1 Peter 4, 8, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. See, the servant who owed a debt would not have patience with the one to whom he owed. Patience demonstrates love, and this man refused. He would not. He could not. Too many, too many times this word, is, this, this verbiage is used. I just can't forgive. You ever hear somebody say that? I just can't forgive. The issue is not that there is not deep pain. The issue is not that you have not been hurt. The issue from a human perspective is not that your life has not been ravaged. The issue is if you're going to have a heart that's full of forgiveness. Listen, folks, forgiveness is an act of the will. We choose to have a heart that's full of forgiveness, or we can choose to have a heart that's full of bitterness a heart that's full of anger, a heart that's full of hatred, or getting even. So the question is, what choice are you going to make? Only you can decide that. I'm not going to preach to you a third point until tonight because the, the reason being is there is a consequence for unforgiveness. You might want to come back and hear it. You might. Because you might wonder why there's some things going on in your life and you don't understand why. But Jesus gives us the answer why. So you might want to come back and hear the rest of the story. But in your own mind, your conscience tells you, justice tells you, if somebody was forgiven $6 billion worth of debt, 
how could this same person hold somebody that owes them $6,000? Hold them to that. In your own, if you were a judge, if you were sitting there, you would look at that person, you would look at them and you'd say, are you nuts? Have you no compassion? Do you have no logic? In your, don't, don't you think logically? Don't you understand? You were just forgiven $6 billion worth of debt, and this neighbor of yours or this family member of yours or this husband or wife of yours or this child of yours or, or whatever the person may be, they, they've, they've inflicted $6,000 worth of debt, and you're not willing to forgive them? You know what? You don't deserve to be forgiven either. Wow. Your logic tells you that that would only be justice. You know that's the truth. And what are you holding on to? Pastor, it happens over and over and over again with them. They just don't stop. Somebody's got to teach them a lesson. Why don't you let God handle his part and you just have a forgiving spirit? They're going to get away with it. Maybe in this lifetime, but one day, God will balance all the scales. See, too many times we try and play God when that's not our place. You say, well, what's our place, Pastor? To forgive. Remember, you're a fellow slave just like I am. You're a fellow servant just like I am. That's what it says there. Fellow servant. So none of us above anybody else. No one. We're fellows in this. So what's going to be the choice? Are you going to hold on? Or are you going to let go? But say, well, I just can't. You know, you can if you ask God to help you. For seven years, almost eight years from the time I was 13 till the time I was 21, I held on to bitterness. And I felt that I had a right to hold on to my bitterness because what had happened to my family, what people had done to my father, what they had said about him and the work here, I had a right. Oh, I didn't... I didn't verbalize it. I just kept it internal. And what I found was that my walk with the Lord, it just got a little bit less, and a little bit less, a little bit less, a little bit less, a little bit less, till I was living in total rebellion against God.
And at the age of 21, in the house that I'm now at right now, we're staying with my parents. We didn't get all moved in because the house isn't done. So we get, we get to move twice. <laughs> I'm not bitter. In the room that me and my wife were staying at, that was my bedroom. I knelt down beside the bed, and I said, Lord, I just want to let you know I'm enjoying my sin. I know I should change, but I'm having a hard time. Would you please help me? And the Lord did. But then, and I thought that I had forgiven. Then I came back to Open Bible Baptist Church almost nine years ago. A lot of transition. Man, there was a lot going on. Man, we had just a lot. And I thought that I had forgiven and gotten past those emotions. But we saw some people leave the church. I've told people that I have successfully passed their open Bible to, from 450 down to 300. <laughs> and I started seeing people leave the church. And guess what came up? All those ugly emotions from when I was 13 years of age, started rearing their ugly head. And I thought to myself, just like it was before, you left my dad when he needed you, and now you're leaving me when I need you. I don't want anything to do with you. Good riddance. Get out of here. I could care less. Then the Lord took me behind the woodshed. And he said, I need to teach you something. That forgiveness is just not a one-time act. It's a lifestyle. It's a choice. And I can honestly say to you that if anyone, those folks will walk through that door I could put my arms around their neck and say, I'm so glad to see you. Amen. Glad you're home. Because this is where you belong. Amen. You say, how does that happen? Oh, it's not me. Don't, don't, don't look at me. Oh, pastors using themselves a great... No, 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 no. Because in my flesh, sometimes I like to reach out and touch someone. It's only God's grace. It's only God's grace. Listen, we're fellow servants. If he can do it in me, he can do it in you. Now I'm going to let you know, it's not easy. It went, when you have the weeds of bitterness and anger in your heart, they've got a lot of deep roots, and when you start to pull that out, that ground gets all turned up, and there's a lot of things that you have to start dealing with. 
But let me tell you something. There is nothing sweeter than be able to look at those who may, quote, unquote, be your enemy on their side. They're not on mine. And be able to say in your heart that when you put your head on your pillow, you know that you love them just like you love some of your best of friends. A clear conscience and a clear heart makes for a restful night. So what are you holding on to? See, I thought it was done so many times. We think it's done, and then something, some, you know, somebody hits that trigger, and boom, you're like, a, you're like a, a stick of dynamite. They push that, oh, guess what? You haven't got rid of it yet. What are you going to choose? And see, I decided to hold on to it for a while and uh, I was taught a valuable lesson in point three I'd encourage you uh, I'd encourage you because you might be wondering why things are going on in your life that are going on you can't figure it out why I'd encourage you to be back tonight because it will help you. The choice is yours. Forgiveness or not.